morning. Again, welcome to Cornerstone Church. It is a privilege to have you here. And yesterday we got Leah married off to Matt. And so they have a one-night honeymoon to not, or last night, and uh, they're going to go on a honeymoon in December up in the mountains. Next week, we're going to get Cassidy married off to Jonathan. Next Saturday, so just six days away, six days left of freedom. No, no, we actually talk about that in the ceremony. It's a new freedom in marriage that you did not have before. So we're excited about that and uh, just excited about what God is doing. All these marriages and babies coming into the world. We're growing the church in numerous ways. So today we return to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21. So I'll read the text. You can read along with me. You can look in your Bibles. Or you can look on the screen. Galatians 2, 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ... We ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, God, we give you glory this morning for who you are. God, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took our place who bore our sin debt. He experienced the very curse of God that we deserve. And God, we thank you for him this morning. God, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. God, thank you that we've been set free from the demands of the law, for we could never keep your law in order to be righteous before you. But God, you've made another way in your son that we would be justified through faith. And so, God, we pray now that you would work in our hearts, each of us, God. Lord, we desire to continue to grow, to be like you, to be conformed to the image of your Son. And we pray that through your word this morning, through your grace, God, we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would become more like you in our everyday walk. God, challenge our hearts through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joel Beakey writes, Justification by faith alone was Martin Luther's great spiritual and theological breakthrough. It did not come easily. He had tried everything from sleeping on hard floors and fasting to climbing a staircase in Rome, which, or while, excuse me, while kneeling in prayer, monasteries, disciplines, confessions, masses, absolutions, good works, all proved fruitless. 
Peace with God eluded him. The thought of the righteous righteousness of God pursued him. He hated the very word righteousness, which he believed provided a divine mandate to condemn him. End of quote. Yet while Martin Luther meditated on God's word in Romans 1:17, the light of God's grace shone through. The text says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Luther realized that this righteousness was not a punitive justice which condemns sinners, but a perfect righteousness which God freely imputes to sinners on the basis of Christ's merit received through faith alone. Luther realized that the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, was the very heart of the gospel. And it became for him an open door into paradise, a gate to heaven. This quote found in Romans chapter 1 verse 17 is actually taken from Habakkuk 2.4. So this doctrine of justification by faith was not something new. It was not just a new covenant doctrine. Sinful men have always been justified by God's grace through faith. In Genesis 15, 6, Moses writes concerning Abraham, then he believed in Yahweh and he counted it to him as righteousness. Roman Catholics have actually appealed to this verse as support of their doctrine, their doctrine of justification by grace empowered works. I suppose it's because Abraham did obey God, but not one word here is mentioned of work or merit. It's not in this verse. It's actually nowhere. The grounds of justification. The apostles quote this verse, Paul in Romans 4, 3 and Galatians 3, verse 6 and James in chapter 2, verse 23. And they each write basically Abraham believed God and it was Logizomai, it was credited, it was accounted to, it was reckoned, it was imputed to him as righteousness. And it's also in the passive force, so the imputation is received from another, in this case from God himself. We cannot impute righteousness onto ourselves, for we have no righteousness to give. The act of imputation is an act of God's grace. Man cannot earn it. Man does not deserve it. It is a free gift of God. It is based upon the merits of Christ and received by the instrument of faith. It's by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, Romans chapter 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You see, the definition, the meaning of grace excludes works. If works are included, grace is no longer grace. God's grace is received through faith, through trust, through confidence in him, through rest in God who is faithful in his son, the son of God who gave himself for us and who satisfied God's righteous demand for the payment of sin. Yet the Judaizers 
influencing the Galatians, were insisting that the way to be saved was through the instrument of faith plus the instrument of works. But that would no longer be grace, would it? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, so that the glory of God is made evident. The glory of God is put on display through the salvation of man that all might know of his radiant glory. The Judaizers believed that the gospel of God's grace through faith alone would lead to licentiousness, to ungodly living, to uncontrolled lawless living. They believed if circumcision and keeping the law were not included, that man would continue to live in sin. This was the same issue affecting the church in the 16th century. The reformers faced the very same challenge. The Roman Catholic leaders insisted this teaching that justification is by faith alone would lead to ungodly living. But that's a misunderstanding of God's grace received sola fide through faith alone. Rather, the doctrine of justification by faith alone means that we're justified through faith unto good works. Luther said this, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. As James wrote, chapter 2, verse 15, or he asked, I should say, what use is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? The answer is an emphatic no. Can the kind of faith that produces no work save? No. James goes on to state faith by itself. If it does not have works is dead. It's not real. It's a dead faith. It cannot save. Luther rightly said saving faith is fideth viva and a live faith, a living faith. So if it's saving faith, if it is God-empowered faith, it will always produce good works and obedience to God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, you know it well, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. Now listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are saved through faith and faith alone, but it's a faith that always works. This is the nature of saving faith. This is the nature of faith that God grants sinners. So how then are we his workmanship? How are we created in Christ Jesus for good works? How are we prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them? It's not only by God granted faith, and this is connected, but it's by the supernatural regeneration of the spirit. We are made alive. Our hearts are transformed. He gives us a new heart so that rather than having a bent against God, we have hearts that desire to please him, to serve him through good works. You see, God changes the sinners want to, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So the message of salvation through faith alone does not mean that you can live as godless as you want to, because if you have truly believed in Christ, you are no longer you no longer have the same want to. You do not want to live in sin. You want to live for the Savior who gave himself for you. The believer does not change his own heart. The believer does not change his want to. The Spirit of God regenerates the heart. He gives life to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the introduction that I hope lays the foundation for our text today. Last week, we ended with these verses, verses 15 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, he's talking about the Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul said that even we Jews, speaking of the believing Jews, know that a man is justified, is not justified by the works of the law. Rather, he is justified, he is declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith, it's trust, it is confidence, it is resting in Christ that we're made right before God. This describes the meaning of the word faith, pistis in the Greek. It is trust in Christ alone, in who he is and what he has done, that we are justified that we're saved from our sin, that we rest in him and find peace. By definition, we know here at Cornerstone, it is a repentant faith. It's a faith that turns from sin, empowered by God. It turns from the evil world system and looks to Christ to rescue us. Faith turns from self-righteousness, from all self-help and religious effort and trust in Christ alone. This is saving faith. This defines saving faith. Today, we pick up in verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. So if a person is seeking to be, claiming to be justified in Christ, yet that person is found to be a sinner, meaning I believe that they continue in the willful practice of sin, disregarding the Lord and his gospel, is Christ then a minister of sin? And Paul says, may it never be, or God forbid. This is what happens when a person seeks justification by keeping the law. For in law keeping, there is no transformation. Not because the law has failed, but because of man's sinful heart. If you seek righteousness by keeping the law, you remain in sin. There is no freedom from the bondage of sin. Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. The Galatians had once destroyed 
the law as a means of salvation. They had turned from the law as a means of justification and turned to Christ. But now, listening to the Judaizers, they were rebuilding the law. They were seeking now to be made righteous through the law. But the law does not make anyone righteous. Paul made it perfectly clear in Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no flesh. See, it's clear. No flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This was Martin Luther's experience prior to salvation. He spent hours in confession because every time he read the law, he was condemned by the law. He said, you ask me if I love God, but sometimes I hate him. He said to the gallows with Moses. I don't want to hear about Moses. Every time I look at the law, I'm destroyed because I know that I don't keep the law. But it was through the law condemning him. And the good news that the just shall live by faith, that Luther looked to Christ and Christ alone and was declared righteous before God. It was an act of God. He had no righteousness of his own. He could not give himself righteousness. He could not earn righteousness, but it was imputed by God to Abraham. In this case, not Abraham, but uh, Luther, right? That's the context I'm in. Losing my place here. You see, it was through the law condemning him, the good news that the just shall live by faith, that he looked to Christ. This is precisely what we find in the remaining verses. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. When we look into the mirror of God's law, all we see is the ugliness of our sin, isn't it? The law scolds us. It condemns us. It shows us that we are exceedingly sinful. But it also points us to the Savior who alone can save. Paul writes later in this book in chapter 3, the law has become our tutor, our schoolmaster that points us. It drives us unto Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Paul is saying here, when I discovered the gospel, the law died. The law died concerning its power to condemn me, for I am now justified by faith. Now Paul can say, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. R.C. Sproul wrote that Paul acknowledges here, when I died to the law in order that I might live to God, I did not reject the law so that I could be lawless. I learned through the law that I could never be justified. The only way to be free to live for God is if I let the law die, end of quote. So Paul is saying, do you want to raise the law from the dead and add to salvation? If you do, you make Christ the minister of sin because you cannot please God by law keeping. You cannot be free from the law. You will continue to be a lawbreaker. There's no power in the law to set us free from sin and death. But then Paul makes a glorious statement. Chapter 20, chapter 2, verse 20, 
A. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is not saying that a personal crucifixion is a ground, the grounds of his atonement. Paul had not experienced a physical crucifixion himself. Rather, he is, say, he is saying, when my Savior died, I died with him. My old sinful self died with Christ. Paul is saying, therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is not saying that he had done anything to make this a reality. He is not saying that he had personally been crucified. So how was Paul crucified with Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul makes this perfectly clear in other texts, in particular in Romans chapter 6. Now, listen carefully. It will be on the screen for you. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Notice here lies the answer to the issue of continuing in sin. It seems the Roman Catholics are not really looking for an answer because here it is. In Christ, we are dead to sin. Paul also answers the question about death to sin. How can a sinner be made dead to sin? And he tells us through baptism into Christ Jesus. But Paul is not talking here about water baptism. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens the very moment that we're saved. Water baptism pictures this baptism, you see. Jesus said to his disciples shortly before Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Spirit baptism. Paul writing to those in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for also by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, talking about the body of Christ, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So what does it mean to be baptized into Christ by the spirit? And how does this relate to being dead to sin and alive to God? He continues. He explains this in the same passage. Look at verse four. Romans six, verse four. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. Now, we're not going to take the time to break all of this down. It would take a while. There's a lot here. However, I want you to understand there's one thing that's perfectly clear here. Our position in Christ as dead to sin and alive to God is, an, is in entirety 
the work of Christ. This is something that God has done. It's by the Spirit of God that we've been identified, that we've been baptized into Christ, into his death and resurrection. By the Spirit of God, you were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. We can say it again and again, so that by the baptism of the Spirit, you were crucified with Christ. And so now you are positionally dead to sin. And by the baptism of the Spirit, you are risen with Christ so that you're now risen with him and you walk in newness of life. You see, this is a work of God, isn't it? He's not telling you to die to sin. He's not telling you to do something to be raised up. He's telling you what God has done. Because you come to verse 11, we're going to skip a few verses here, but come to verse 11, it's perfectly clear. He says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, we have been identified with Christ through spirit baptism. We've been identified immersed into his death and resurrection. This is what God has done for you if you're in Christ, so that now you are possessionally positionally dead to sin and alive to God. Now put that together with Colossians 2. Just listen as I read verses 20 through 23. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of man. These are matters which do have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body. And here it is but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Laws will not set you free from sin. Laws will not empower you to live for Christ. You have been baptized into Christ. You are by the work of God, by the spirit of God, you are dead to sin and alive to God. He says in verse 11, consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Consider it. See, believe it. It's through faith. We're believing in what God has done. And then we're empowered to go live like it by the spirit of God. But we must believe it. Stop trying to live to please God by your own efforts. Stop trying to live according to some list of rules. Look at what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ and by the work of the Spirit. He has done it for you so that you're empowered to walk in newness of life. If you continue to try to keep God's law, to live it out by your own efforts, you will fail every time. We've all done it, haven't we? We've failed over and over. But it's when you look to Christ, when you see what he has done, that he's already baptize you into his death so that you are dead to sin. You no longer need to stop trying to die to sin. You can live for him. Paul writes, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The moment I put my trust in Christ, not only am I in Christ, 
identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, but Christ lives in me. In Colossians, Paul refers to Christ in you as the hope of glory. He is the guarantee of physical resurrection in which even the stain of sin, even the temptation of sin will be done away with forever. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more struggle with sin. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 20 B. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. No longer trying to live according to the law. No, no longer trying to be righteous by keeping the law. But he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Paul is saying that I no longer live by the works of the law. The law is dead to me. The law could not make me righteous. Now I live by faith in the Son of God. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. To seek righteousness through the law is to set aside the grace of God. It is actually a rejection of God's grace. It's to say that God's grace is not enough, that it's insufficient. Paul says, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you could be saved in part by keeping the law, then you could be saved in full by keeping the law. If you could earn some of your salvation by good works, then you could earn all of your salvation by good works. But then Christ would have died needlessly. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And him alone. We're saved not by our own works. Otherwise, we would have something to boast about, but not before God. Do you understand that salvation, that sinful man's salvation is unto the glory of God? Man's salvation is to the praise of his glorious grace. God saving sinners who are unworthy of forgiveness, who could not do one iota to earn even a billionth of their salvation. That proclaims all to all creation, his glorious excellencies. It proclaims the wisdom of his grace. You see, for us to seek salvation by our own works is to seek the glory which belongs to him. It's to rebel against the God of salvation. It is to reject his grace. But God is the one who is worthy of all praise and all glory. He is the Lord of all perfection. He possesses glorious radiance. He is the God of glory. So I ask you, have you truly found rest in his finished work? If you have found rest in Christ, Continue to rest in his finished works. Do not seek to add to what he has done. If you have begun in the spirit, do not seek to be perfected by the flesh. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. Stop trying to die to sin by keeping the law or any set of rules. By adding anything to Christ. If you're in Christ, you are dead to sin already. You're already alive to God. Consider it to be true and go live like it. That's what Paul tells us to do. Why would we try to recreate what God has already done perfectly? You see, it's a matter of sola fide, 
faith alone. It's putting our trust in him, in Christ alone. Amen. That's right. Those who are truly born from above rest in his finished work. That should be our characteristic. He has become the centerpiece of our lives because he is our hope. Here at Cornerstone Church, Christ's finished work is the centerpiece of our worship, of our preaching, of our communion. We seek to maintain this constant theme. We say with the Apostle Paul, For I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified.